All right, welcome along to the RT Soccer Podcast. Raf Giallo here. The LOI is back. First week of weekend of action in the bag, and we'll be chatting about that with Anthony Pine of RT Sport Online, the 42.ie journalist David Snade, and also we'll be joined later on by former League and Cup winner Graham Gartland. Uh, but Anthony, you've got a busy bit of traveling to do uh, off to Marbella. Oh yeah, someone has to do it, Raf. <laughs> off to Marbella this evening. Uh, Ireland are playing China in a friendly on Wednesday. Uh, so this is sort of the first window of three in the run-up to the Women's World Cup in July in Australia and New Zealand. So really important. You know, they, these windows are, are short and sweet, but um, everybody's got to put their hand up for, you know, trying to catch Vera Powell's eye. There's a few new faces in the squad. Um, Aoife Mannion, Marissa Shiva, and Australia-born D.A. Della Harp, Deborah Ann Della Harp. Uh, who plays with Sydney FC. They're the three new arrivals into the squad. Um, and that kind of freshens things up and keeps people on edge. Um, they did have a behind-closed-doors game against Germany on Friday. So I, I think the new players probably would have got... Uh, well, actually, sorry, Della Harp only sort of got clearance yesterday. So you might see her maybe for a few minutes on Wednesday. I'd say the other two probably got the bulk of their minutes on Friday. I'm not so sure uh, how much of a run they'll get on Wednesday. But uh, this, it all kind of gets a bit more real now, Raph. You know, everybody's in good spirits. We've been chatting to the players during the week and they're all, you know, as, as they always are, saying the right things and there's good vibes and a good atmosphere in the camp. But the reality is the squad that goes to Australia, Powell can only bring 23 players. Three of them will be goalkeepers. So, you know, players are going to miss out. Players who've been on the journey over the last four or five years are going to miss out. They just are. Like, that's just the way it is. And I think that realisation is maybe just dawning on some of the Ireland players now. Not that there's any sort of hostility or anim- animosity in the camp towards any new people coming in. I'd say it's quite the opposite. But, you know, it's just human nature. If you see someone coming in in your position at this point in the campaign, you're probably thinking, oh, you know, here we go. You know, more competition. Don't don't need this. Um Mannion is a, is a centre-half that plays with Man United, a good centre-half, has been very unlucky with injuries. She's a really bad cruciate injury and is only sort of coming back now. She's still only getting back to playing football, really. Uh, I think Marissa Shiva is, is an interesting one because she was a very good middle-distance runner. Um, she plays in America. She plays in uh, the NWSL in America with Washington Spirit. And the reason I would keep an eye on her is because I think she's potentially like for like with Heather Payne. Heather Payne is Vera Pell's go-to striker. She doesn't score goals. You know, she scored one goal in 30 games. So she's not in the team to do that. What she does is run the channels really well. It's kind of like John Aldridge under Charlton. Years ago, John Aldridge was playing with Liverpool in the late 80s, banging in goals. Couldn't score for Ireland. Like, it took him 20-odd games. The reason was that he was never in the box. He was running channels. He was chasing down defenders, pinning fullbacks, which is similar to what Payne does for Ireland. And if you look at Ireland's attacking options, they don't really have anyone else that can do that job in the same way. So it's possible she's looking at someone like Shiva, who I haven't seen her, Raph, but as I said, I know her pedigree as, as a track and field star. She has a really good, strong pedigree, so she can run and she can work. So it's, we might see her on Wednesday, and that, that's one to keep an eye on. Um, but as I said, yeah, everybody will be trying to put their hands up, and, and this is where... Uh, every minute you get in the pitch counts because, you know, after this, there'll be another camp in April and then I think another one in, in June and a farewell game in July. So not a huge amount of chances for anybody new coming in to to force their way onto the plane. 
yeah, and Vera Pau had flagged that there would be, you know, a look at other options outside of the the players that have actually got the the squad to the World Cup. And in terms of the chances of domestic based players, it was just from a conversation I had with James O'Callaghan, the P Mount manager at the League of Ireland launch a couple of weeks ago. He was, you know, in terms of growing the the league domestically, he feels it's uh, it's it's vitally important that in the squad itself that there are a number of uh, domestic based players. Now there are a few obvious ones like Anya O'Gorman and Abby Larkin, but uh, what are the chances of there being a small cohort outside of those two? Well, I mean, I mean, Vera Powell has, has been kind of open about her, you know, the gap in fitness levels and conditioning between say the women's super league and the women's national league. And she would run camps in, in uh, domestic based camps as well in between these windows. So she'd be getting a look at everybody and getting, you know, people will get their chance to put their hand up. I think it's very difficult, though. I mean, the fact that she's bringing in some of the, the likes of Mannion um, and uh, Marissa Shiva in particular, like they're, they're, they are coming from full-time setups where they are being exposed to that type of training and facilities and are probably just in... Their, their fitness levels are just that little bit better. And it, She's going to put so much weight on that, so much importance on that when you consider the two teams that they play first up are Australia and Canada. You know, two really, really good sides, both in the top seven or eight ranked teams in the world. I think Canada are fifth. I think Australia are inside the top 10, obviously the co-hosts. So um, I, I, I'm not so sure. Like, in ter- like if you're asking me, is there anybody who has yet to really break through who's, who's going to do really well in the Women's National League over the next couple of months? Say at somewhere like Athlone, there's a lot of good young players and a lot of good underage Ireland internationals actually at Athlone. Uh, I still think it would be very difficult for them. I, I just think she might stick to what she knows and trusts at this point. Yeah, and that friendly against China, it's Wednesday in Marbella. Anthony Pine's going to be there for, for RT Sport Online and it's uh, kicking off at 1pm coverage on the RT News Channel at 5 to 1, so 12.55pm. Uh, David, uh, obviously this is your first uh, appearance on the podcast in this calendar year and in the meantime I have been reading a, a couple of your pieces on the 42 and one of the ones that did jump out to me was Shane Farrell of Shelburne, so last time I would have seen him would have been the cup final back in November, but he's got a really interesting personal story, so maybe if you want to kind of sum up uh, some mm. of who he is to people who may only know him as the footballer. Yeah, well, first of all, good to see us, lads. It's good to be back. Um, yeah, like the cup final, well, that's pretty much where he started with the with the article. Um, because like people who would have watched it, like, and he even said himself, like he had an absolute disaster of the game. He got he got whipped off after after forty five minutes of half time because he had had a groin injury going into it, but. He was just it's just a very it's just a very interesting interesting guy, you know. Like he obviously he's been at Shells now for five or six years, but he kind of joined Shells at a point in his life where he was actually considering giving up football. He, there was a couple of bereavements that were very, very close to him when he was kind of there's one of those quotes where you know sometimes you speak to people and it kind of sometimes when you're interviewing people, maybe something that can be said that can be missed, but then there's other times where something kind of stops you in your tracks a little bit. And then one of the lines where he said was he was like, fuck's sake, like, people keep dying. Do you know what I mean? And that kind of was where he was at in his own head, where there was like family and, and friends who passed or passed away who are who are very close to him. And uh yeah, I just met him he's from Fingless and I just met him for a just for a, for a chat and uh he was just talking about 
his mom and like the reason how part of the reason how we got even into talking about his mom and stuff about his sister so his sister was about when he was about 15 or 16 was diagnosed with, with schizophrenia and but the reason why we even got talking about it was it was all centered around that cup final the fact that his mom was even able to go to it because like she would be a 24 7 uh carer for his sister um so and like he was talking about they'd been in a hotel in town with the shells players but because of the nature of how the game went, he wanted to get out there and he just got back to Fingers, got back to his local and he was surrounded by friends and family and it kind of was just a reminder of just how far he how far he'd come and just speaking to him, because he's a new man, he's only 22, 23 years of age and just speaking to him and listening to just what he's already been through, like just to even be where he is and he even said himself was a, was a success, a success, excuse me. So yeah, it was just, it's just one of those, I'm not sure there's many, well, there could be, I'm sure there will be, everyone has their own struggles, but it's just one of those stories that once you get chatting to them, the football a little bit takes second stage, but then also you just see how important it is to him as well. And hopefully that kind of came through in the in the article with him because he's just a, just a genuine, lovely fella. Yeah, and anybody who's looking for it, the title is When I See My Mask Smiling Now, It's the Best Feeling Ever to See Her Happy. And on that note as well, Graham Gartland, I think uh, you've uh, you've arrived on the scene late into the box. More late into tackles than arriving late into the box. But yeah, yeah, I managed to nick the odd goal every now and then. Important ones. That was the, the main thing, Rafa scored important goals. Yeah, and uh, of course, uh, as I said at the very top, the League of Ireland was back with... Uh, Premier Division and First Division and uh, looking through the results uh, before we we do that Graham like first impressions first week back obviously after a three month break to be honest with you I thought the excitement from everybody all the fans everybody that went to the games was brilliant um, the, the attendances is up the, the marketing from the FEI seems to be added the coverage from RTE was good the, the graphics were good um, you know, all, all of us should add to a product. To judge teams off the back of one game is different. It, it, you're, it's not something that I do. I think the, the league doesn't settle down for a good 10 games. You see where teams are with squads. You see where teams are with injuries. You see where teams are with suspensions and how they can handle the, the marathon that is the, the season. But in terms of the product and how it looked um, and, and the fans that are, you know, sell out in, in, down at Tornish Cross, the sell out in, in Sligo, a sellout down in um in Chicor. like the, the, these are this is brilliant like I don't think it, it you'd have to go back a long way to get that for an opening day of the season where a majority of the, the the games are selling out so it's a fantastic um sort of excitement and enthusiasm for the league which is something that it, it, it need we need it needs to be keep driven forward. Uh, they need to keep driving it. They need to improve a lot of things to make sure that they can keep getting returning uh, punters in through the gates. Um, you know, it's something we always touch on, but make it that it's a comfortable place to go and watch a game of football. It's enjoyable and it's places you can bring your kids and your family. So from that side of it, it's great to have the league back. Yeah, and cumulatively, I think well over 20,000 in terms of uh, attendances across uh, across the country. Also in the first division, Kerry FC's first game, also uh, a sellout at home. Maybe they didn't get the result they wanted, but uh, that's not really what they're looking at at the moment. But anyway, results overall, 
uh, in the Premier Division on Friday night. St. Pat's won, Derry City won, Cork City won, Bohemians 2. That was the TV game on RT2 and the RT player. Dundalk won, UCD won. Again, UCD proving that uh, they're, they're not, they're not going to be an easy uh, kind of pushover in the league. Shelburne nil, Drogheda nil. And then on Saturday night, uh, Shamrock Rovers, the champions, went to Sligo. Rovers and Drew 1-1 at the showgrounds. But uh, first things first, Graham, in terms of uh, Cork and Bowes, um, Conan Byrne on the commentary or in the uh, in the analysis during the game, he was describing the first half as men against boys. Uh, was that how you kind of saw it? Um, yeah, I just thought he looked like Bowes looked a little bit hungrier at the time. Um, it, you know, they got around the pitch a lot quicker. Set pieces-wise, they looked really dangerous. Um, Cork, I think, just were a little bit nervous and apprehensive going into it. Maybe the fourth home game, big crowd, everything about it. Um, and then, like you said, I think in the second half, then maybe because the, the when they go two 0 down, they've nothing to lose, and they're playing into the shed, and there's a bit of a crowd behind them, and they get the goal back, and then you just see them up in the tempo and the energy, and it's direct. They're going into the box, they're putting tall but under pressure, they're, they're causing mistakes. Um, and then they get it back to 2-1 and then you think, right, there's a chance here. And the, in fairness, some of the chances, I know, I think Kerr cleared one off the line. Uh, the left-back Kerr cleared one off the line in the 94th minute and then Talbot makes a save in the 96th minute. So they were pushing for an equaliser. But they probably need to give stop giving away soft goals. They gave up a lot of chances from set pieces in the first half. And then the sec, the goal, you can see it in the second half, um, the goalkeeper just has to stay in the middle of the goal. So I think they'd be disappointed in terms of the goals they've given away. Um, but they can't wait. They can't wait forty-five minutes to start playing a game of football. I wait till they're two 0 down to start maybe playing the way they know they can or with the tempo that they can play. It. Yeah, and those goalkeeping errors, Anthony, because you were doing the uh, the match tracker across the the Friday night. I think we're fairly uh, <laughs> they're fairly glaring. Toby Oluwayemi for Cork City, obviously, as uh, Graham said there, like he stays in the middle of the goal, he saves that, and then James Talbot as well, which maybe was a little bit unfortunate, just sort of treading on the ball. Yeah, it was, it was mad because I was, I was looking at it and thinking maybe the two keepers sort of defined the night up until around the 75-minute mark. The young keeper just, just lost his bearings for the goal. And I thought Talbot had sort of generally showed, exuded a, a bit authority and was able to calm things down. I thought balls were very good uh, for certainly the first sort of 70 minutes or it was just in complete control. Uh, Conley was really good he just gives him pace I thought Afalabi was very good but then <laughs> Tao just had a, a mad last 15 minutes he actually he clashed with the centre half his centre half uh, around the 77 minute mark where he kind of got away with it they ran into each other and he picked the ball back up and then soon after that he trod on the ball for the goal and the, the match the whole dynamic of the game changes then Um because the crowd suddenly gets up, you know, I think there was, was there six and a half thousand there or something like that? Yeah. Like really, really good crowd. And it just shows you like, I mean, that type of atmosphere, it's, it's hard not to get swept up in it. And I think that he suddenly kind of, balls were suddenly backs to the wall for that last 10 minutes, having been absolutely in control, like totally in control. Cork brought on, uh, Matt, Matt Healy did really well when he came off of Cork, because he just gave him a little bit of dynamism, a little bit of urgency. And, it suited them because in the last 10 minutes, the game became a bit mad and hectic and frantic, whereas up to then it hadn't been. You know, Bowles just controlled the tempo. They played the game at their own pace, slowed it down, 
Uh, and it's just, it's super, uh, going forward for Cork, that's something for them to take from it because they will have Turner's Cross every second week. And it's, it will generate an atmosphere that very few grounds in the League of Ireland is going to be able to generate that type of atmosphere. So you, you think maybe they can use that to their advantage. Um, but it's going to be hard for them because as Graham said, this this league is a slog. Like this is about the grind. You know, you're talking, we might touch on draw the United later. I think draw to have a chance they're only there's only two part-time teams in the league and Drada are one of them, them and UCD. But they're used to the grind. You know, it's all about the grind. It's every week. There's no easy games. Like Shamrock Rovers go to Drada next week. They had a bad record against Drada last season. Bit of a bogey team. So you never know. Like every single game is going to be tough. Um and you know so Cork I've I've, I've got to learn a few lessons pretty quickly. But certainly that last 10 minutes was maybe just a little bit of a, a sighter for them where just to give them a bit of hope and positive going forward because it was crazy. And credit to Talbot because, as Graham says there, having made that mistake, he made a great save right at the end. And he, that, was, that was a really good save. Like, it was right on the goal line there where, you know, he, he had to kind of keep his head and keep his, his, his can just when it mattered most because that would have been two points thrown away for balls, really, because they were so much in control for the vast majority of the game, I thought. Yeah, especially their forward line with Afalabi and then also Coote on one side and Dylan Colley on the other. Really, yeah. all really impressive. Let's listen to the managers now and what they what they had to say. So Colin Healy and also Declan Devine. Colin, at the very end there, the shed almost sucked the ball in. How did you see that uh, that moment at the end? Did you think it might have been over the line? I don't I don't know. It, look, it looked pretty close. Um, I don't know. Listen, Darrow's got a, got a, got a good header. I thought he's headed down. He could have headed higher. And, you know, but it's... Um, Listen, it, obviously, it's, it's not gone behind the line. Like, but, you know, at, at the end, you know, we went for it. Um, probably in the first half, the, with the system that we had, um, did a lot of possession. But we were given, we were given away silly possession as well. So we changed it, changed it at halftime. Went to back four and thought we were more aggressive and we had a lot of more chances. But I mean, you look at Bowes and did two chances and they scored. Matt Healy did well for you when he came on as well. It must be difficult to to get the new players. You know, into the system working for you, but you've got, you know, you got a, gave a lot of players game time today as well. There's something to work on for no, the absolutely. season. Absolutely, no. Listen, I was being careful with Matty. Matty had a tight strain, so I didn't want to start him. I just got to be careful because um, he was touch and go before the game. So listen, he came on. Matty's a fantastic footballer. You can see when he came on is that the quality that he shows. Like, but but overall, I just think, I didn't think you know we were good, we were good enough uh, on the ball. We were a bit sloppy, and um, we need to be better than that. Big crowd. Was it an occasion that maybe took a bit much out of your players at the beginning? Were they were they overawed? Perhaps by how big an occasion it was. Um, I just thought maybe we looked a small bit nervous in the in the first half. Even when we had we went. Don't get me. You got to give credit to Bose as well. They, they they kept they kept they kept good possession. You know. So um, listen. But the system that we had sometimes that allows you to do it. You know. I mean, listen. Cork and Buckley were getting on the ball very very easily, and you know they they, they were running the game. But it a, we changed it at half time. Um, we corrected it. Um, we had a few chances in the second half, but we, we, we didn't take them. Well, hopefully you'll have nights like this again, but with better results. Thank you, Colin. Thank you. Cheers. Declan, you told me all you wanted on the first day was three points, and so you got it, but I bet you didn't want the uh, the uh, tension at the end. Listen, Tony, we knew coming here it was going to be a battle. Right? The atmosphere was electric. It's an amazing football club with an amazing manager, and they really put it up in the last 20 minutes. As we spoke about for two weeks, we are players that, you know, when you come to Turner's Cross... And you're playing and defending that shed. The fans nearly sucked the ball in. 
Well, what was really pleasing for me tonight was such a group of players being able to dig in. We didn't do ourselves any favours with a goal. We should have seen the game out, but we'll learn that. But our bunch of fans down here that have got behind the team after a really difficult end of last season, it's just pulling the whole thing together. And they start with three points. It's just it's simply brilliant. He's been a hugely important player for Bowles, your goalkeeper James Talbot. Was that a hamstring injury he might have, or how is he? No, listen, he'll be, he's, a be, he's a best, in my opinion. Um, I just look at him, you know, he'll be a massive addition to us this year, having missed so many games last year. But look, we're delighted we just come in here getting the result. We, 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 I felt that when we got our second goal, we were well deserving. I thought Ali Coote and John Afalabi were outstanding in the game. Adam McDonald, you know, people say he's a number 10. Well, tonight he done some shift in terms of trying to get that ball back. So all in all, I don't want to be playing Keith Buckley at right back. That doesn't want to, doesn't want to be where I, I want to play him. But he's fitted on there tonight and everybody has given a serious shift. And thankfully we go up a road with three points because other teams are finding it difficult here. Well done. Thank you. That was uh, Bohemians manager Declan Devine. And before that is Cork City counterpart Colin Healy. Uh, before we move on to some of the other games, Graham, just in terms of the step up that we've seen there in terms of the gap between Cork City and Bohemians, especially in the first half, is it, does it just illustrate like how tough that is going to be for Cork, I suppose, just to get up to speed? Yeah, but like I think... like. Colin spoke really honestly after the game. He says there was probably a bit of nerves there, and them nerves will go. The, the more experience they get in the league, and the more experience they get playing in front of the bigger crowds, that will ease and they'll show a bit more of themselves. I think the touching, I think what, what he touched on there about minding players to make sure that they're right. That that will be tough for the likes of Cork and um, draw the and and these teams that haven't got bigger squads that. They can't risk a Matty Healy to play in the game, knowing that he might be out for another couple of weeks. Where the, the bigger the lads with the bigger squads, like like Dirty and Bowes, uh, sorry, Dirty and Rovers can can play lads with that might be carrying knocks, but there's also somebody waiting in the wings that maybe has similar quality ready to play. So I think in terms of you see Colin trying to manage his squad where he doesn't want to risk him and not have Matt Healy for the next three or four games. So I think that, that stuff like that would would they might find tough in terms of managing his squad, but you can see that he's thinking long term with Matty Healy that he's going to need him for the next few games. But um, I think the nerves will will go. They'll, they'll dissipate as the season goes on. They'll get more used to playing at home. They'll know maybe how to manage the home games a little bit better in terms of you know keeping a tight in the last keeping a tight as they can going into the last ten minutes of the games and then having that shed behind them and bring and having the momentum and. Mightn't be pretty at times, but they're getting the ball in the box, they're causing chances, and and that's where they can, might start nicking one of, you know, one nil wins with with late goals down in in Turner's Cross, and then what they can pick up from the way from home as a bonus. Then, yeah, David, you were at Richmond Park for uh, Pats and Derry City, which ended one one. Obviously, Derry took the lead early on. Jordan McInef with a slightly it was a strange looking finish anyway, from mm. what I saw on the uh, in the highlights was it the after. Rap? No, uh, I don't it, think it did. He kind of, kind of, yeah. he kind of shot it into the ground and yeah. kind of flew, up, flew up a little bit. It was almost like remember uh, Meza Oswald had that little kind of like kicked it in, yeah, kicked it in. It would kind of look like that because we looked looked at that on the replay a few times and it didn't seem like it took a deflection. It was yeah, half ball, wasn't he, David? And caught it like on the way down or something. He was yeah, because because he done well, so I don't know. Like if you haven't seen the goal, he kind of. He kind of read the, the little play out from, from Joe Redmond, who other than that had been very good in the game, and then just drove at them. And then Vladis had created, was kind of tracking him back, and he kind of he tried he tried to just kind of get him off balance a little bit. And I think that's part of the reason that fed into the finish. He was just kind of trying to get yeah. something off a bit, but anyway, he could. So, um, but yeah, that was a smashing game. 
Yeah, and Joe Redmond, of course, uh, equalised at the end from a set piece. So what was your impression? Like, obviously, great crowd there as well. But, like, just yeah. in terms of the impressions of both teams, because Pats, of course, were inconsistent last season. And Derry City, there's a huge amount of uh, spotlight on them, obviously, after the way they ended last season. Yeah, so there was, I think there was something happening in the game that I think would be a bit more, might happen a bit, bit more. So basically around the 16, 17 minute, Pats were dominating, Pats were all over. Derry couldn't get a foothold in the game at all. Like obviously he had to make a change during the warm-up and Michael Duffy picked up a knock and Ollie O'Neill came in and he started out wild. But uh, Brian Marr went down with, um, I have to say it was an injury. Like that's what he went down with. But basically it was a chance for Rudy Higgins to basically, as soon as it happened, you could tell it. And listen, you could tell what was happening. Like anybody with a bit of cop on could tell. As soon as it happened, they were all the dirty players were straight over to the touchline. And he basically reconfigured midfield, reconfigured the forward line, brought O'Neill in, made sure Graydon was a bit further up because he had been far out on the right. And you could see Tim Clancy went over as this was happening to try and, and they were chatting. They obviously got on well with him managers and he was trying to have a little ear in, trying to make a bit of a joke out of it. But then as a creep became apparent that they were doing a little mini team talk and while the treatment was happening to Brian Maher, and fair play, like the Oscars are coming on, Brian Maher could be in for best supporting actor, I'd say, for, for that in terms of, <laughs> of it. And everyone even speaking after the game, kind of... Tim Clancy kind of referenced it in the point of view of that was just Derry being a bit cute and a bit smart. And even with the goal, saying like Derry's goal, he should have been brought down a bit quicker. Like he could have easily have just taken the yellow a bit soon or just a little bit of, not not nastiness, but just a bit of street smarts, I suppose, and just a bit of game management, I suppose, is the word now in the lexicon, isn't it? Kind of a bit more uh, a bit more palatable about it. But that just seemed how, the, how it seemed to be that it was going to be with the game. Like I was, I had pretty much on my report written up until the last couple of minutes and it was along those lines that went once Derry did change their formation and got a hold of the game. Pats huffed and puffed a little bit, didn't really create an awful lot from, from free play. Um, but then obviously they got that chance at the end and in fairness, it was, it was a good delivery by creating into boxing. It was actually a far better finish probably reminiscent of Graham Garton and his prime as a, as a oh, centre-back at the, at, the, at the near post. But uh, what you call it? it? It was actually a far better finish than I kind of gave a credit for after watching the replay. He, he does get a lovely little flick on it um, and be kind of held off Connolly as well, which is not me if he, yeah. he kind of, he, he done well. He was doing a few things well at that near post. So, uh, Dave, that, can I ask you a question on the set-pieces thing? Because I, obviously I watch the highlights back and you see the game. A lot of the set-pieces, especially in the second half, did Pat's pack the goal line a lot? Yeah, you know, was it was it was it purely just against because they obviously might think Brian Mar might might struggle uh, physically with you know, it. Do you know? Yeah, like see, that wasn't really. I didn't really cop that in the first half. I didn't seem that 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 that's what they were doing in the first half. It actually seemed it seemed to happen a couple of more times once um, Jake Mulroney came on because he okay. was take he was taking them on his deliveries into the box. They just had a lot more zip about them and a lot more pace. A couple of deliveries before that, it was almost as if they were just kind of floated in and maybe okay. they're a bit more easily defended. But and then even the corner, like I'd say that the I only I only re, seen more noticeable that they started doing it for the last couple of last three or four set pieces because they seemed to have a few in the last ten minutes. Yeah. Before that, it didn't really seem as if that's what the what the tactic was. And I was listen, I may, I may have missed it. Sometimes you don't. You know, see those things all the yeah. time where everybody said, but it, it did seem more so it was a case of in, in the last 10 minutes. Um, and because up until then, I thought, like, in fairness, like, Derry seemed to deal with them relatively, relatively well. Um, but I don't know, I'd say Derry would be obviously, Derry would be a bit sick because obviously it was the 
the last one of the last kicks of the game and kind of like just linking in with what with the Bowles and Cork game like if you look what happened last year with Bowles like Bowles gave away so many stupid goals like last season whereby like they weren't able to get any kind of momentum going at all and whereas for a new team and a new manager that's what Bowles are going to need this year like I don't think they they may not be great at going chasing the game but if they get ahead they could be very good at just holding on to a lead a little bit like they weren't able to get that momentum really last season and that's kind of maybe even with Pats there now I think that could be a big one because again Derry I think the only team Pats didn't beat last season was Derry you know like Derry got a lot yeah Derry so got they beat them there at home last year and then beat them 1 0. So they've beaten them, took yeah. five goals off St. Pat's last year in St. Yeah. In Inchicore. Like. Yeah, and like I'd say the first 20 minutes, the first, yeah, up until, up until I say that kind of like maybe, I think it was about 15, maybe about 16, 20 minutes in the mark of the match when Derry changed things. Pat's were at a better team and they looked very comfortable. And like you could see, the big you could see what's being worked on, I suppose, in inside preseason and what Tim Clancy is is working towards, and the fact that like if Jamie Lennon can stay fit for the whole season, because yeah. obviously he was a miss last year, and obviously the fact we've lost Adam O'Reilly, but you can see the kind of base of midfield there with with Creed in there with uh, Lennon, and then having Forrester a bit further up the pitch, and they have got some good options as well. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, listen to the managers. So, St. Pat's manager Tim Clancy, and then after that, we listen to his Derry City counterpart Rory Higgins. Tim, happy to come out of that with a point there in the end. I listen when you score late in the game the way we did. Uh, you're happy enough, but funny enough, it's something that we mentioned in there in the dressing room was uh, the lads were all a little bit not not gutted around, but they were a little bit disappointed that we only drew the game. Um, listen, we spoke all week about. They're a very punishing team. They're very, very good players. And when you turn the ball over and lose it against them, they punish you. And that's what's happened for the first goal. Um, Joe Redmond's got caught in it, which is an uncharacteristic mistake. Um, and we have to get more street ways to stop uh, stop making mistakes like that. Um, but listen, to show the second half, we showed a good fight. We made a good few positive changes near the end. Listen, we're probably in a position now this season where you can tuck off Mark Doyle and tuck off uh, Tommy Lonergan and Chris Forrester. And we ended up getting four other attackers on the pitch with, which contributed so um, we're probably shows we're in a little bit of a better position than we were last year What was your thoughts on the performance overall what what pleased you and maybe what didn't go so well I just think probably the, the, the final ball the final third the little little bit of uh, <coughs> sorry the quality that you need to, to score or create cha- uh, chances and finish them um, probably let us down a little bit but the build up play I thought uh, Noah Luce at the back was excellent in his, in his debut I thought Vlad was excellent as well and um, Tommy Lonigan back at the club as well has done very well up front. So, listen, as I said previously, I go anyone that finishes above Derry this year is going to be right at the top of the league. We're so close to a, a, an opening night win. Does that late goal leave you with a sense of disappointment? It does, Eric, and and um, a lot kind of went against us here tonight. Uh, Michael pick up an injury in the warm up. McJana comes off in the first half. We're already without Diallo, Dummigan, uh, Patrick Michael, and he's just back from injury. So. Um, we were uh, dealt a few blows, but I thought the players fought and they, we, we, we weren't at a free-flowing best by any stretch. But uh, first half, we had the three best chances. Um, and second half, we gave away too many set plays and, and dangerous enough areas, and eventually one of them caught us out. Pat's made a few changes late on in the game, which seemed to bring them more to life. Was the was the pressure late on just just too intense for you to try and hold out? I think we, as I said, we give away too many free kicks, too many corners, um, 
and, and to be fair, when we did do that, we stood up 95% of the time and defended our box really well. But uh, as I said, we just, got, we just got caught in that one. Should the first half have yielded more goals? I will have had Grado goes through as a brilliant chance. Jordan gets a great goal. We've had a few. Uh, Ollie gets one cleared off the line, so we've had a few chances. And uh, I we would have liked to have done a couple up, but not to be. This is a extremely difficult venue. They're a, they're a good side, and um, it shows where we are when we we've bodies missing and and we come here and we're disappointed leaving with a point. All right, so that is Derry City manager Rory Higgins, who seems relatively satisfied in the circumstances, uh, getting a point out of uh, Richmond Park. But uh, Graham, in regards to Shamrock Rovers, who are going to obviously as reigning champions and with Derry sort of hot on their heels in terms of turning this into a what is expected to be a two horse race, uh, I'd imagine Stephen Bradley would be fairly happy with a point at Sligo Rovers given the circumstances of being down to ten men. Yeah, I think he touched on after the game. He said a draw was probably a fair result. Um, Sligo came out in fairness they had a couple of chances in the 11th minute I think they had a bit of pressure they had three shots on goal I think Manus made two unbelievable saves um, and then Bork pops up for a wonderful goal into that inside left channel um, Clark has a chance then just around the 25th minute mark where he probably could kill the game but um, obviously it all changes on the on the I think, yeah, all changes really on the Lopez sending off because I think Rovers were comfortable with, with with the goal up and maybe would have been a threat later on if, if Sligo had kept pushing, you maybe would have maybe nicked another one on the counter-attack and then the sending off comes um, straight red for Lopez on Barlow. And Barlow what, what did you make of it, actually? What did you make of the incident? Because I've seen the highlights of it, but it's quite far away, so it's obviously yeah, he raised like, his hand. It does, yeah, that's the thing. Like The, the simple fact is, it, it, by the letter of the law, it's a red card. Is it soft? Yeah, of course it's soft. But, but I'd be raging. I'd be raging as a player against. I'd be so disappointed to be sent off for that. But by the letter of the law, and it, it, it's a red card. But in the grey area of football and the way we're talking, it's like ah, wasn't that bad? And it wasn't. He didn't hurt him. He didn't. Uh, he didn't cause any physical harm to Barlow. But in this day and age, you can't raise your hands to people's face, whether it's to grab them by the throat or to put their hand on their face. So. He's given the, it's one of those cliches that will pop up on thing, but he's given the ref a chance to send them off, and and, and that's what's happened. And the ref took it, um, and they're always a little bit. I always find referees at the start of every season, they're they tend to be a little bit card happy in the first few games because they're trying to lay down markers for the rest of the season, and then it mm-hmm. tends to ease off then. But um, it was the turning point in the game, and then Sligo probably got that bit of momentum and sense that he could have a go and he did push in fairness um, like I said Perlow hits the post Fitzgerald has a chance in the 83rd minute I think it ends up being a save again for Manus and it just shows you his importance and then with a last minute goal um, from a corner it's not cleared properly probably from a Sherman Grower's point of view it's actually a really good volley to keep that composure from Browning in the, in the, in the last couple of minutes of the game one of those volleys that you could easily just probably overcommit to it and hit it too hard and it goes over and you might get a little reaction from the crowd, but it's bounced into the corner. He's controlled the volley lovely. He knows it's gone through bodies and Manus might be unsighted. So it's a really controlled, clever finish from, from Lucas Browning. And and like you said, like Stephen said himself, he probably deserved the draw on the night. 
Yeah, and uh, on the, on the other hand, a great finish as well in the UCD um, draw at uh, Dundalk. So Kieran Behan with the uh, the free kick to to equalise it. Now, uh, Graham, from a Dundalk point of view, it, like if we look at the result, like we've we've talked about, like a couple of draws where both teams on either side have been happy. I would imagine Dundalk going to be bitterly disappointed starting off at home with a draw against UCD, whereas UCD are showing that they can't be written off. No, and, and I think the frustration is they probably had so much of the ball done dark, but the, the UCD limited them to, to half chances. Uh, Healy makes a great save with the penalty in fairness to him. It's a really good save. It's right in the corner. He gets down. He gets down so well. across. He gets across the goal so well and touches around the post with a strong left hand. I actually thought Dundalk's goal was really good. Ainsley down the left-hand side puts in a clever, clever cross. Uh, Huben's probably taken the touch for himself, but Martin comes in off that left-hand side and slots a lovely, and it just looked like a really clever goal, even probably though it wasn't meant to be that way. Um, but the free kick from being, he actually wins the free kick himself because I, I, oh, sorry, just before that, he's checking and chopping, and he looks to have really good balance and a really good left foot, and then he steps up and puts a wonderful free kick into the top corner. Shepard gets a hand to it, but he's not keeping her out. It was a fantastic free kick, and I don't know, like, when I went through the bodies they lost last week, and it's scary. They lost Kerrigan, Whelan, Lonigan, uh, Sean Brennan, Evan Caffrey, Sorrow, the centre-back, and they lost Dylan Duffy. These are, like, all young players that, like, done really well to keep UCD in the league last season. They've lost all of them who are regular players for them. Lonigan comes in and takes over from Whelan, obviously, but that's a fantastic amount of talent that goes out of your football club. And for them to, in the first game of the season, go up and get a draw in Dundalk is brilliant. And full credit to Andy Moyler because they are renowned for playing good football, but he's brought a bit of steel and a bit of heart into that team as well. And, and, and full credit to them. Yeah, and the other game that also ended in a draw, Anthony, was the Shelburne-Drada one, which was uh, nil-nil, but uh, not for want of uh, Shelburne trying. I mean, the amount of glaring opportunities they had, Matty Smith probably should have scored one, and then um, Sean Boyd hits the post, and uh, Paddy Barrett hits the crossbar. Damien Duff, I'm sure, would be happy with their the attacking side from them, but uh, as you said earlier on, from a Drada point of view, they just have that knack of being able to dig out points, as we saw last season. Uh, I think you're being generous to Maddie Smith. <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> that was a, a hell of a miss. Um, look, 32 free kicks in that match, eight cards. I mean, I, I was kind of keeping an eye on it as it was going on. It was three yellows in the first 15 minutes. There's a bit of needle between those two teams left over from last season. Uh, so I think it was a scrappy, fairly physical game. And yeah, Shells definitely had the, the, the better of the chances and the better of the position, uh, possession. Sorry. But you know, Drada dug it out. Uh, they, you know, it's going to be hard for Drada, but they brought in two young lads from Lincoln again this year. They, I think they have a decent relationship with Lincoln. Um, Elijah Ahui is, is a young fullback. They're only 18, him and Freddie Draper. Uh, and Ahui particularly did very well by all accounts. Really aggressive and strong. You know, two kids going into a tough game like that at Talca Park, first night up. Um, they'll take that point all day, get out of there. You know, it's, it's a decent start for them. The thing with Shells is that, like, last season, I think over a fifth of our goals came from penalties. And that's the thing about them. You just worry about where the goals are going to come from. Um, Duff has already said they were he there was hopes they were going to get outside investment over the over the winter from the Southampton owners. There was strong speculation that was going to come. It never came. So he has said like they had certain targets that they just couldn't afford. 
So it's another season of him, you know, getting them on the training pitch, getting them as well drilled as possible and trying to improve young players. Um, but, you know, it was, it was frustrating night for them. I think they'll be okay. But I'd be sorry. I said before, like last week we were chatting about it, and I think I think Shells will be in around where he finished last season. Really, seventh last season? Sixth? Yeah. Seventh, yeah. Seventh, yeah. And I think it'll be similar again this for, this year for them. I think it's I think they'll be fine, but it's hard for them to kick on, you know, until maybe a little more investment comes into them. Yeah. I think even like even Sean Boyd is Sean Boyd is massive for them and he's vital and he's excellent. I think they had 60% possession in the game. They had 11 scoring in attempts, but they had zero on target. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and then you and then you look at, they're the same. They had seven attempts and one on target. So it's not like, like Anthony said, it's, it's they're getting into great positions and that some of their play mm-hmm. is really, really good. But you have to hit the target to score goals. Like, you know, you have to give yourself a chance to score. And maybe sometimes, like, like you said, Boyd hits the post with a great effort. That's not classed as a target now, but it is a really good effort. But like that, they're always going to be dogged. They're, they're going to play good football when they can. They're going to be competitive under Damien. He's going to demand off them a lot. But I think the frustration will come is that they're maybe not even getting shots on target. Yeah. Well, do you know think It's a fair point. You can't... Like... Like this, let's be honest. Like the Smith, the miss from Matty Smith. Like it's yeah. Like you can't. Like you know what I mean. Like he, he, can't he, literally, for that. he literally misses an open goal. Like it's worse than Ronnie Rose until back in the day. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Remember that miss, that famous miss from the blast of the past, isn't it? Ronnie you know what Rose I mean? Oh, stop! Like it's and it's one of them where and obviously Boyd hitting the post and he is going to have to have a big season because he was really impressive last year. Although I think he up until the point he was almost on as many yellow cards as he was goals, but he he finished the season very strongly as well. But He's obviously will be will be a big player, but it was interesting even in the offseason. I know when Damien Duff was talking about that, the fact that maybe he was expecting his budget could have been quadrupled, that that investment from Sport Republic had happened. But bringing in the likes of say a Paddy Barrett, because he spoke about wanting a, a team needing a bit more personality about it and having a bit more just experience in, in there as well, which is which is quite telling. But I don't know. I, I, I think it's I think Graham said that at, at the very start. It's the first game of the season as well. Yes. But like when you see that miss, like if he scores that goal, it's game over because Drada aren't scoring in that game. Drada just aren't going to score in that game. They were like, and I know obviously they are one of the part-time teams, but there's a few interesting things just on what the lads have already spoken about just to, just to touch on because it's interesting. So, with the yellow, with the red card for, say, for Lopez, that can now be appealed. So, this is the first one. This is the four, and Roberts have decided not to appeal it, so they're not going to obviously go for this. This will be the first time now where, like before, if a fella got sent off, there was no right of appeal. You know what I mean? And like, let's be honest, there was quite a few red cards last year where it, they would have been overturned. So that's going to be interesting this season to see what, what, where, how, how that will play out. But also, and it's kind of in the fourth in the fourth division where John Caulfield gets uh, a yellow card. But it's because of what Ollie Horgan does. So basically now as well, and it happened with Tim Clancy. Tim Clancy got a yellow card because he got into a scuffle. I can't remember the player. When the player came into his technical area to get the ball back, even though it was a pink, it was a pat's throw. But because he got involved with, uh, with with it, Clancy was the one who got the yellow card. So the, the manager now is responsible for everybody on the bench as well as the staff. So he'll be the one. Yeah. So this is going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Oh, because no way back maybe before it could be a case of. You know, you, ha- you have your Rottweilers beside you on the bench if needs be to have a war just to keep the manager safe a little bit. Whereas now it's the manager is the one who will be responsible for everybody on the bench. So yeah. that's going to be interesting as the season goes on, how that'll, how oh, that'll go. Good. 
Yeah, so you keep your your Rottweilers muzzled. Essentially, is the uh, is the message here. Although an interesting one, a colleague of mine, um, I won't say who, did say, "Well, what happens if a player gets dropped by a manager? Is a bit annoyed by him and says, you know what, I'm gonna get him booked here by uh, acting the mega on the bench.'" <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, this Friday, in terms of Shelburne, at least they're going to be at St. Pat's, so that's a tough game for them. Seven forty-five p.m. kickoff, and then also Bohemians hosting Dundalk, Derry City up against Cork City, Drada United against Shamrock Rovers, and then UCD hosting Sligo Rovers. Um, just turn our attention to the first division. Wexford lost three 0 to Waterford, who would be one of the favourites <clears> for promotion. Uh, Galway United won two one at Finn Harps in difficult conditions. Treaty United lost one uh, 0 at home to Bray Wanderers. Ian Ryan's first game in charge or first competitive game in charge and then uh, Kerry FC in their League of Ireland debut lost 2-0 at home to Cove Ramblers and Longford Town uh, defeated 3-1 by Atlone Town in the Midlands Derby to start off but uh, Graham uh, briefly on this uh, on this division it's already shaking out as uh, Waterford and Galway United the two favourites for automatic promotion sort of already making really good starts yeah, I think Warford had a great start. Yeah, I think they started well last year as well. I'm not sure if it was the same fixture that they started well in or it might have been vice versa, the other way around where Wex would be Warford. But um, yeah, they've, they've got a lot of investment in from Fleetwood. John Walters has gone in and they're obviously getting players through the system there to give them game time. Um, I think they've stuck with the manager that they had last year that done really well with them, uh, got them into the playoffs after he took over. So there seems to be a bit of continuity there for the first time in a while because they tend to chop and change quite a bit. But um, yeah, it looks like it's shaping up as Waterford and, and, and Galway. They're, they're the, probably the teams in the in that division that have the biggest uh, budget and investment in them. Um, and so it'll be, yeah, it looked like it could be a two-hour race. Bray, that's a great result for Bray going away to Treaty because Treaty is a tough place to go. Um, Ian Ryan's going to get the both best out of that squad. I was talking to James Kelly recently and... He's just trying to put together a, a good young team that will, will play the right way and run and push. So I think he'd be disappointed with that result. Kerry is just about getting a platform that he can build on. Uh, you know, they come into the league. It's great. It's everything. It's a great new story. Really happy for Billy Dennehy and everybody down in Kerry. It's great that they have football in every part of the country. Um, but again, it's about sort of just giving them a platform to build on this season. Um, long for that loan then it's just about consistency but that the, that was a strange result I didn't see coming either that loan beating long for 3-1 considering I think Longford had done really well against them in all the games last season. So, um, but yeah, the thing with that loan as well, isn't it interesting? Like at the end of last season, they seemed to pick up when they had yeah. started the season so badly as well. I'm sorry, Dave Rogers going in at Finn Harps. You know, Finn Harps are obviously Holly Organ's gone in as number two at Galway and They've changed. Maybe they're trying to bring in a lot more local players into the into the group, get a connection back with the community, and try and build from there. So, Dave Rogers had a lot of pedigree as a coach. He's coached um, over in Forest recently as well. So, he looks like he's trying to galvanise the club and drive it forward. So they they're always going to give tough games as well, and they'll they'll want to be in the mix between Waterford Galway as well. So, um, it's an interesting it's an interesting force division this year. Yeah, um, before we go, the uh, Champions League coverage this week on RT2 and RT Player, Tuesday night, it is Liverpool against Real Madrid, so that's definitely going to be worth watching. And Anthony, I suppose the mood music for both clubs is sort of changing in the last uh, couple of weeks. If we'd been recording this 
maybe about a month ago. Um, this wouldn't have been the most intriguing of games, both both sides out of form, but uh, slowly Liverpool seem to be just picking up results, if not performances. Uh, well, yeah, I, I think the performances couldn't have got worse for Liverpool after Brighton, uh, Wolves. There was another game against the team of that sort of ilk where they were they were not just beaten, Raph, actually hammered, like really badly beaten. Uh, they've just got a bit more balance in the midfield. You know, the young lad, Bacetic, has, has done really well for them. And they're, they're, it's kind of Fabinho and Henderson are sort of playing themselves back into form. Uh, I think they're just trying to salvage that season now, Liverpool. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they tailed off again. You know, it's there's too many structural issues in the team. that The midfield is, is too old. And um, Bacetic is an excellent player, by the way, really good prospect. But, he's, you know, if you're hanging your hat, hanging your hat on an 18-year-old midfielder to solve those issues, um, you've got a problem. You've got a problem because after a while, you know, because of his age and the fact that he's still developing and the pressure of playing in the Premier League, he's probably going to dip. You know, he'll naturally dip. So it feels like, I don't know, we'll see. Like, they've got a bad Everton team at Anfield. I know Everton had a good win on Saturday, but no, they're, Everton are 17th in the league for a reason. And to be fair, they, they popped Newcastle on Saturday early. And then didn't play well for the rest of the match. So still a lot of question marks around Liverpool. I think they'll give it a lash in the first leg against Real Madrid. But um, I don't think they're coming through that tie, to be honest. Yeah, Graham, what have you made of uh, Liverpool from what you've seen in them, especially structurally, uh, particularly before they started picking up results? They're trying to they're, they're trying to play with the energy and the aggression that they had without having the legs to do it at times, and and that little bit short. And when you're short with with that, when you're short with that aggression and that intensity, your body's not able to do it, or physically not able to play with it. You get played around and you get run around, and because they like to push, like so. How I look at it when they're pressing is whatever side they're pressing, the opposite. If it's the, if they press to the right hand side, Robertson will commit and will go, will drive forward and press fullback to fullback, and then every all the three backlots slide over, and they, they generally leave a three v three, and that's okay when the pressure was good, because the balls out there weren't very accurate, or defenders would panic and clip it, and then the likes of Van Dijk would hoover up or Fabinho would hoover up, and then they play from that platform. Now the defenders are getting a little bit more time because the press is just a bit off and the midfielders aren't able to get to their players. So their midfielders are able to turn and play and then they're three for three. I, like, I agree a little bit with Anthony. They have improved um, and they look, I think, freeing up Nunes as a left-sided striker that he just causes havoc and they don't have to rely on him to build play through him has helped that they give him a little bit more freedom out on that left-hand side. He's, he's a threat in 1v1 situations. Um, I do agree. I think the midfield balance is a little bit off. I think the right side of their defence gives up too many chances. Allison, even in the Newcastle game, still had to make three top-class saves in the game. Now, their goals are brilliant. And attacking Moyes Salas is still a threat because he pops in and plays lovely assists. But they're off. They're off in every little aspect of their game. They're off in their attacking play. And they're off the midfield play. And they're off in their defensive structure. By that one percent, but that adds up. That adds up over the course of a season to to not enough wins on the board. So sometimes I think you can't go and press everything. You just need to sit back in into a shape and let teams have a ball. And and Ten Hag does it really well at United against the bigger teams. Ago we can't go toe to toe with you at this point in time. We're not that. We're not there in our development. 
And mentally, it's hard for Liverpool to go back and go, well, we're not with you now at this point in time. We need to go back and be a counter-attacking team. They haven't been built on that. So it's very hard to roll back in that mental side of we can't go toe-to-toe with everybody. Um, so I agree a little bit with Anthony in that sense of it. Um, again, if they're going to play the midfielder, you need legs around them because he, he is an athletic. He's a wonderful technical footballer, but he, he he's going to have to build up his power and his, and his mental and physical stamina to play in there for Liverpool. Yeah, and that's on RT2 and RT Player Tuesday night. And uh, the only maybe saving grace is Real Madrid are a bit off it. But then you say that all the time and then they go on and win the Champions mm, League yeah. at the end of the season. So uh, doesn't, it was interesting. Doesn't I, I, done, I done a coaching course. I done a coaching course one time and I was on it and there was a fella talking about uh, Real Madrid and he spoke about basically the Real Madrid model and what they try and do. And it was just so interesting. They basically were like, they go with a goalkeeper, two centre-backs and a striker. And everyone else has rotation. That's the way they play. It's like, listen, we have these fixed positions and everyone else, just get us footballers. We'll, we'll work out the rest. And that become, that makes it really hard to play against because they're so unpredictable and all the players can rotate into different positions. And I was like, right, that was an interesting way of looking at it. Like, you know, yeah, and uh, finally, before we go, actually, because you've talked about Evan Ferguson a lot, even kind of, you know, you remember him as a baby, played against his father, Barry, <laughs> or played with his father, Barry, I should say. Played against uh, him as well. Barry tried to get yeah. me sent off a few times. <laughs> but uh, just what have you made of Evan Ferguson the last while? Because I think the last time we were speaking, it was before he had scored his first Premier League goal. Mm-hmm. He's since gone on to score three goals. He hadn't been capped by the Ireland senior team at that point either. He's got two caps now, and now he's uh, he's sort of like the, the we're all hanging our hats on him against France, yeah. maybe being the leading light. Look, what have you made of him in the last uh, couple of months? It's it's everything you'd expect from from Evan, and and having known Barry well, and still speak to Barry when I see him. He, he lives, I live up beside Barry in Bettystown, so I, I'd see him uh, going to the gym in the mornings, and um, I'd have a chat with him. But it's everything you'd expect from Evan in that. The narrative around Evan was that he he had talent and ability, but it was his attitude that was the standout, and he and his demeanor and his mental sort of toughness, um, and he has all that. And you know, I'm sure Barry and Sarah have helped with that because of the sporting background with Barry. But he seems to be quite a relaxed uh, man now, and he takes things in his stride. But he's obviously hungry to be successful as well, and you can see that in him. His physicality is is fantastic. He's a great size. He has power and his pace. And as a modern number nine, in terms of if you're going to play him up front through the middle by himself, he has enough pace to trouble you down the sides and he's enough presence to hold the ball up and he can make chances for himself. I, sorry, he can get on the end of chances from crosses into the box too. So um, he, he's still gonna, he still has a lot of development stages to go, but he's on the right track. And I don't think ever his attitude or his attitude towards the game or his, or his um, hunger to play will ever come into question. Yeah, and David, uh, I suppose before we go, there he has been, there ha- the one of the tabloids was uh, linking him with Chelsea and Tottenham kind of interestingly enough. So he is, uh, it's gone from sort of, uh, you know, being impressed with his performances to now kind of linking him with big clubs. Uh, now again, his development probably is going to be best helped, you know, staying at Brighton and getting as much game time as possible though. Well, yeah, and it was probably only signed. He only signed a new contract, wasn't it? Back in October, <coughs> like he it was in. It was actually interesting. It's amazing how how quickly things can change because after he made his debut for Ireland, he he did a promotion gig for the FAO's football for all um kind of program in his school, 
And the talk then was he was going to go on loan to the championship. This was back around, would have been late November, early December. Um, but then obviously with the World Cup being on and he was in working with the Zebri and he, like this is, I think this is one of the more impressive aspects rather than obviously it's great. You, got, you see him get the goals, but it's more so a case of for a teenager to be trusted in that position in a team like that. It's because he's taken on information. It's because he's understanding what's being asked of him and he has the temperament and or it spreads on football player. Like, he would have been well known, obviously, from from by different clubs. Now he's getting linked with those clubs because any player at that age who does have not not to use Mika Richards, but burst on the scene a little bit and actually have such a big impression like that, they're gonna be like Roy. He's the real deal in terms of he's capable of of doing it. But I said this before. You kind of even up until with the Irish hat on up until March, you kind of just want to see him keep on playing and keep on developing. You don't mind if he doesn't be banging in the goals. Obviously, don't get me wrong, it's great if he's scoring and he's coming in, but if you see that, if you see a, a, a young lad like him still playing games regularly and just getting on, getting that experience, because it seems as if he's the type of fella who, like any good player, you tell them something once and they, they take it on and they don't need to be told a few times and likewise, he might learn from stuff in, in games. He doesn't need to kind of make the same mistakes a few times or be told a few times after games what you should be doing. It's clear that if he, the more games he gets early on, he could be one of those players that uses it to build a career rather than being one of those who burns really brightly very quickly and then fades away. So that's the hope with Evan Ferguson, to be honest. And listen, if he gets a move, he gets a move. But the the big thing for him is just to keep on playing because it's just going to do him the world of good. Yeah, and uh, that France game is only about a month away anyway. So the squad probably, give or take, about three weeks away from uh, from being named. In, so it'll be in fairness, I'd say the FAI are absolutely delighted that he's not going to miss the Lafayette friendly because that means the game, that, that'll even be some of the people who are buying those duo tickets will definitely be turning up to that game to see if he plays in that game. Or will they even make the decision to maybe not risk him in it in case they need him? Because up until that injury, and I'll, without dragging it out to point out about it, up until that injury against Liverpool when it was looked upon as if like oh, Stephen Kenny was at that game, like that was when they were beginning to look right. How are we going to use him? You know what I mean? Because he has everything for what's going to be needed in that France game of holding up the ball, but also being able to mix it up and run the run the channels as well. So it's just uh, it's it's going to be a big month for Marie, will for him and yeah. for he's the most he's the most inf- he's the most important striker we have playing at the highest level. Yeah, that's uh, whether you take his age over. What other strikers playing at the Premiership level? Uh, and scoring goals and there's nobody like you know all the rest of the strikers are playing they're scoring but they're not playing at, the, at that level so take his age out of it you know he's the most informed striker at the highest level yeah and anyway as the saying goes if you're good enough you're old enough so we'll see Um, he'll certainly be in the squad anyway for sure whether he starts or not we'll we'll find out in, in due course but anyway Anthony uh Enjoy Marbella. Um, we'll be uh, we'll be reading your match report uh, <laughs> on the website, and uh, also Graham Gartland and David Snade. Thanks for coming on this week. Pleasure. Thanks, lads. Thank you. Bye.